Welcome back. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley Adams. Today we are not joined by Joshua Rivers. He is, well, he's on our call. He's listening, not going to speak today, having not had time to do some prep. He was away over the last week. So today it's just me and Joel Wood. Joel, hello. What's going on, Bradley? Not much. Today we're talking about the final five episodes of season one. So nothing too major. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the last five episodes. Yeah, just the last five episodes of one of the great TV seasons. <laughs> yeah, one of the best, one of the best seasons in the history of the series. Mm. We'll come to that later on in the uh, later on in the podcast, I think. But so let's, I mean, as we have been doing for the last few weeks, let's go through the plots, and we're going to start today with Victor Drazen being alive. I mean, we touched on it a little bit last week. Obviously, Andre and Alexis taking charge of the kill David Palmer and Jack Bauer plot, and we see the field that Jack and Mason have gone to investigate is actually housing a secret underground prison. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Andre Drazen is there to break out this mysterious prisoner who ends up being the thought-to-be-dead Victor Drazen. You kind of started to get little little hints and little nuggets of information that Victor Drazen may be alive. When Jack first found out that this was kind of a secret holding facility that nobody knows about and nobody knows exists. You kind of, even before you saw Victor Drazen, you could kind of put two and two together and uh, figure that he was probably, probably alive because I don't think Alexis and, and Andre will go through this much trouble for just a regular old prisoner. Mm, exactly. I mean, it's interesting actually, because when they deliver the prisoner, and Jack keeps on trying to, we need to move him, I need to see him, I need to speak to him, find out what's going on. It's actually a little bit weird how they structure it, because it, there's a, a rise in the tension once you see Dennis Hopper turn around, you see his face. At this point, there's no actual, we, I mean, we don't know who this is. We've not seen his picture before, we've not, we don't know who this is as a face. But then, yeah, we get that huge reveal, and, and this is, it kind of changes the face of how season one looks, doesn't it? Because you, like you say, they're not just doing this for any ordinary prisoner. Their entire actions of the day are suddenly now not just about revenge. You kind of look at, look at this through a completely different viewpoint that actually, yes, they wanted to kill David Palmer and Jack Bauer and, and Andre, you know, with that quote we just talked about before of having them in the same city on the same day, letting them slip through would be unforgivable. But actually what we see in these five episodes is that the bigger picture is saving Vic and getting him out of prison escaping to wherever and being free together. Yes, it's, it's, it's like I said last week, the main thing that they wanted to do was they knew they were going to break out Victor Drazen on that day. And they knew that they had to have Jack dead before that happened because they knew that if he found out about it or if he got wind of it, he would do everything in his power to stop it. So that's why they absolutely wanted him dead before they broke Victor Drazen out of prison. And the fact that they got Jack and David Palmer in the same city on the same day, that's just icing on the cake because they can break Victor Drazen out of prison and then be like, hey, dad, surprise. You know, Jack and Jack and Palmer are dead. <laughs> so I think that was the end goal for them was to have Jack dead before they broke Victor Drazen out of prison because they felt that Jack was really the only one who could stop them. And it's a good thing they didn't kill Jack, partly for the show, but partly because there's a really, 
it would have been terrible. There's a really nice series of conversations between Jack and Victor in the tunnel after they kill DeSalvo, the warden, before they actually escape from the tunnels. There's a really nice conversation in particular about where Jack is telling Victor how he's responsible for his family's death. You know, we had the interrogation scene in the cell where Jack highlights the fact that he didn't realise that it was a body double. He didn't realise that his wife and daughter had gone into the building on the day that they blew it up. And Jack saying that actually, if you knew there was a body double, if you knew you were using a body double, how reckless of you, Victor Drazen, crime lord, to let your family go into this building where you you know you're potentially targeted for death. You know this. You've essentially enabled this. When you are being targeted for death and you know that you're a crime lord, you go through the trouble of sending in a body double with your family. Chances are there's a, about a 95% chance you know that something's going to happen at that particular time. Otherwise you, wouldn't send a, otherwise, you wouldn't send a body double in that. So it's kind of... Uh, Reckless, I'll say. It doesn't doesn't adhere to Victor's supposed intelligence and the fact that he would put his family at risk knowing by the fact that he sent a body double in there that that body double was probably not coming out alive. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and Dennis Hopper as well in, in these scenes, particularly the first couple of me- me- team top scenes where we meet him, superb. His, his first sort of interaction with us that sort of when Jack says who he is, he has a really stunned expression, and then it just kind of turns to like rage. It's so good. Yeah, you when he first turns around and you first see his face, you're like to the regular viewer watching it for the first time, you're probably baffled. Like the music is telling me I'm supposed to know who this guy is, <laughs> but I don't know who this guy is. But then you see Jack's face when he turns around and looks at the camera. And at that particular point, anybody with any kind of knowledge of what's gone on through the entire season thus far could probably deduce that that's Victor Tracy. And I think that's why Jack's facial expressions told the story without any words being said. That's a really powerful trait for an actor. When your facial expressions can tell a story without you saying a word, that's how you know you're really a top-level actor. Even some of them is great throughout. I mean, we know this. <laughs> he was a veteran in the acting industry before 24 hit the scenes. So it's, thinking about it now, I don't, I don't know if 24 lasts eight, nine seasons without Kiefer in that star role. I just can't see anybody else being put in there and being able to pull it off the way he pulled it off. Mm, agreed. Now we're going to come back to Victor Drazen in a minute because there's a slight detail we do need to take to set up the next bit of the Victor Drazen story, and that is Kim at the police station. I mean, we've, we've had our problems with Kim throughout this season. You particularly have had your problems with Kim throughout this season. But there's actually, there are some moments of redemption for Rick, even for Melody, who is one of the most horrible characters in this season. And certainly for Kim, Rick sort of being one to encourage Kim to tell, her, tell him everything, that he'll, you know, he'll take his responsibility <clears throat> for his actions during the day. Finally, having flitted between noble and coward at various points during this day finally he's going to take some responsibility melanie having hated kim irrationally for the last five hours then suddenly decides after being defended by kim that she's going to tell the truth finally and help kim out of this and kim obviously standing up to krugman the cop it's a fantastic scene where she just throws at him you know call ctu see if they think i'm joking kim in those last five episodes probably because she was away from terry for most of it 
<laughs> but Kim for those last five episodes was uh, probably the most tolerable that she had been all season because she finally went this scared damsel in distress young girl to stick it up for herself and you know to my to my knowledge I don't think we've been told anywhere else during the season but to my knowledge that's probably her first time behind bars of any kind um, I don't remember them saying anything about her childhood before season one as far as having any trouble or anything. So as far as I know, that's her first time in prison or in jail. And the way she handled herself, especially when, you know, taken up for, for Melody, kind of telling to the woman that it was kind of foreshadowing the woman that she would eventually become in season two when she was a lot more, you know, hands on and take matters into her own hands so I think that that really opened a lot of people's eyes into how how she came along as an actress um, because that that jail scene was especially telling because she was alone she was by herself she didn't have Jack to bail her out she didn't have her mother to bail her out it was just strictly her and her actions even though Melody eventually told the truth it was Kim's actions that persuaded her to finally come clean and tell the truth. Yeah, the other good part of this um, this scene with well, this sequence with Kim, uh, we get the ultimately final phone call between Terry and Kim, uh, which is actually really sad when you know you know what's coming three hours later. I know, I know, I can see you shaking your head. Obviously, it's a ter- it's a Terry Bauer thing, but <laughs> it's, it is it's you breaking know. me up inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for these characters that we have got to know over the last twenty one episodes, and now that we're watching it years later essentially having known them for, for decades, it is actually quite a sad moment when you, you know what's going to come. You know that this is the last time they're ever going to speak. I mean, it's, when you realize what happens three hours later, I guess it's, it's you know, kind of a heartbreaking scene. I'm sure all the, I'm sure every one of the five Terry Bauer fans out there were probably hurt by it. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking knowing that we really don't have another scene with uh, that I can remember with Kim, Terry, and Jack all together. The last one was and when I, they got off when they got off the helicopter at CTU in um, episode fourteen. Yeah, so for the last ten hours, we really didn't get another another scene with them together. And when you think about it in that way, and think about what it did for Kim and Jack, and spe- especially in relative to you know, next season. It really had a long lasting effect, the psyche of Jack and and really Kim, um, who had already been through enough for the previous, you know, twenty one, twenty two hours. So yeah, when you think about that phone call and the contents of it being the last one, it's it's a little it's a little heartbreaking. We haven't even got to the other final phone call yet of this sequence. We'll come to that. <sighs> but obviously part of the reason that it is the last time that Terry and Kim ever speak is because Lo and behold, Kim gets kidnapped again for the second time this season, I think. Um, second or third? I can't remember if it's second or third. It, it's, okay. it's, you know, she's getting kidnapped a lot here, which leads us very nicely to the trade and my favorite 24 quote of all time, which is Victor Drazen's, if you do not have the authority, you are not the head of anything. <laughs> I mean, if you needed a line to encapsulate, I know we'll talk in a second about it, but I know, I know Victor Drazen is a monster and everything, but I mean, he's just so wonderful. His one-liners were exceptionally 
I kind of got to the point to where I was kind of liking Victor Drazen a little bit, especially during the scene where he's having dinner or whatever, and Jack is held captive over there in the corner and stuff like that. But his line to, who was that line to? Was that line to Mason? Mason, yep. Okay. That line to Mason was, it's, it's kind of something I've been wanting somebody to say to Mason all season. <laughs> but when he says it right there, you could just see Mason's whole face just, like his face told the entire story too. His whole face just drops because of that one comment. Like Victor just wanted to speak to the person authorized to make the trade, which there was really only like a select few that could authorize that. I mean, when you think that you might like Victor, you enjoy watching him, then he does something horrible and reminds you, actually, for the first time that we see, we get to see that he is a monster, shooting Mila, the daughter of, of the friend that he goes to, to bunker down with because Jack breaks custody, and then shoots Nicola, her father, for calling him out on it. I mean, you wouldn't want to be friends with Victor Drazen, would you? You, you, you get shot, you get your kids shot. Just because you, ha- you you had the bad fortune of letting him into your home and being nice to him and serving him dinner. What's that about? Come on, Victor. <laughs> Jack made the mistake of thinking that uh, Victor actually had a soul when he took the girl hostage and thinking that he wouldn't actually shoot her. Outside of his children, I don't think there's anybody that Victor wouldn't shoot. So, <laughs> but he directly, um, he think- directly causes Alexis' death as well, which is really interesting. Because he is, as I say, this monster, he's killed hundreds of people in Europe, all over the world, potentially. He's killed this, this girl and her father, and he is responsible for his own son's death, trying to get him out of this American, you know, out of custody, out of the hospital. He, Alexis even tells Victor that, no, you have to leave without me. I'm not going to make it. You know, go, go. It's, you know, love you, all that sort of stuff. And Victor insists, and... Lo and behold, an hour later, Alexis dies. Yeah, but he was going to die anyway. Um, well, he might not have done. That was the thing, isn't it? By taking him out of the hospital, yes, Victor gets to see him one last time, but that that kills him. I, I kind of, when Victor asked for Alexis to be, like, we're speaking hypothetically, let's say he lives. There's no telling that Victor would have let him live anyway because crime lords like that, you know, when they know that you've been in the hospital, they know that you've been in police custody, you know, even though you're their son, there's no way of them knowing for sure that you didn't tell them everything that you know about their operation. There's no way for them to know that they didn't break you. So, you know, I've seen it in movies before. There's no telling that even if Alexis had lived, there's no telling that Victor would have let him live much longer other than to find out if he told him anything. That's an even more monstrous approach to Victor Drayton, isn't it? Killing, He's such actually, a charming actively, fellow. Actively killing his own son. <laughs> He's such a charming fellow, isn't he? Yeah, I, I can't see <laughs> for why they wanted to try and kill him two years before. It doesn't really make any sense. How could you want to kill a guy like that? He's just so nice. Mm. Uh, this sequence also has a couple of other my favourite 24 quotes ever. Mason asking Palmer, and if you don't get elected... And Palmer saying, that's not going to happen. And Mason then telling Andre that we're going to do the swap on our terms, to which Andre suggests that's an interesting dream. <laughs> I mean, that 22nd episode is just filled with so many hilarious one-liners. The Drazens were very, I'll say, quick-witted mm. in their responses. It's kind of funny that he said that we're going to do the swap on our terms. And then Andre says, that's an interesting dream. And then in the very next breath, 
tells Mason where they're going to meet him at. Like, he didn't even give Mason a chance to respond to it. He just, he just says, that's an interesting dream, and then immediately went into where they're going to meet him at. Andre wants his brother back, and there is no time for any sort of nonsense in between. <laughs> and that's what I love about it. Like, in the span of, I'll say, one or two episodes, Mason just... <laughs> Mason just got embarrassed like at every single turn by everybody he was on the phone with, from Victor to Palmer to Andre. Mason was just taking L's the whole episode. <laughs> even even Terry got one over on him. <laughs> Mason did not have a very productive few hours. I'll say about two about two or three hours, Mason did not have a very productive time. He's not getting that promotion from Senator Palmer without Senator Palmer forcing it through, is he? He's not getting it naturally. And you can tell, spoiler alert, by the first episode of season two, when he <laughs> says, I, I, should be, I should be in Washington now. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> so it, Palmer essentially basically got one over on Mason. <laughs> you know, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think Palmer really had any intention of uh, giving Mason a job in Washington. No, he just wanted Jack Bauer back. And doing that almost ended up killing David Palmer. The Drazens went for Plan A Recycled, which was very out of character, I'd say, not consistent with what they were doing earlier. But they sent Jack after, they sent Jack David Palmer uh, to supposedly get some funds transferred back to the Drazen's account because it belongs to, belongs to Victor Drazen. But actually, it's just a complete ruse. And the phone that they used to call him is rigged to explode. And... Jack saves the day, having put the day in danger, but he does save it. So credit where credit is due. Well, that that will be about that will be the second time in the course of the day that Jack has put Palmer in danger and saved his life in like you know the same few seconds. <laughs> so let's put it in perspective. At the beginning of the day, you know they said there was a threat of a hit out on Palmer, and yet the only two times during the day that Palmer's life was really seriously in danger, Jack was <laughs> Jack was the reason for it. Even though he saved his life, he was also the reason for it. <laughs> a more cynical person would take the approach that Jack intentionally did this to try and make himself look good. <laughs> Jack would never do anything for his own benefit. You know, Jack would never do something like that. It's, <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. Like the only two times that Palmer came close to being killed were both times that he was in the vicinity of Jack Bauer. It's kind that's, of, that's not technically it, true. Really? Jack, but Jack wasn't there when David actually got killed, and he wasn't there when Mandy poisoned him. <laughs> well, in season one... In season one, yes, I'll, I'll grant you in season one, that the only time that David in is season in season one, but if you think about it, when he got killed, it really was because of Jack Bauer. That is true. So is the, true. Mandy, the Mandy one I'll give you, but when he got killed, it really <laughs> was eventually as a result to get Jack Bauer. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is technically dead for a little bit here. They released the story that he was killed in the explosion. I've never been more serious in my life, is what Jack says about faking his death in order to go and get Kim back. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's great to see Sherry being just told what to do. But yeah, it's an interesting plan, isn't it? It's an interesting plan, but you kind of knew it wasn't going to work. Yeah, it was never, oh. never going to last. <laughs> and ultimate, ultimately, we do end up and we'll come to this in a second, but we do end up with they know before it's even released. So the plan Thanks. kind of fall, the, the plan does fall apart very, very quickly. But it's an admirable plan, you do have to say. At least Jack is trying. It's a perfect plan if they would have left David's wife out of it. 
<laughs> well, so, they couldn't. They couldn't not bring her into it. To be fair, uh, I mean, they they could have faked his death and and told Sherry that you know she's not allowed to go in there right now because they're still processing the scene and she'll be able to identify yeah, she, the body. She rushed in. She rushed in before they had time to think about it, didn't they? So, <laughs> you know, yeah, these things it's, happen. It's, but you kind of knew that if it was gonna fall apart. Sherry was probably going to be the reason for it because she was really the only one that wasn't on board with it. Mike was a little hesitant at first, but he eventually went along with it. But the only one that you that really rebelled against it was Sherry. So mm. you knew that eventually Sherry was probably going to leak it to the media. She's not the reason that the Drazens found out, which we'll get to in a second. But she is the reason that the media found out, which in turn put Jack's wife in danger and gave us one of the best Palmer scenes of the entire series. <laughs> when, he, when he found out, he went and confronted Sherry about it. That was one of my favorite Palmer scenes of the entire series. I think I said last week that um, Dennis Haysbert is the best actor on the show. And I mean, this episode, the, the finale just proves it, particularly this uh, we're seeing it talking about where he screams at Sherry and pushes the vase onto the floor. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so, so good. It's so thrilling. It's so, it's so satisfying to view it. You know, we've spent a lot of this season starting to dislike Sherry for very good reason. And now very quickly, yeah, very quickly. And now David has got a reason to actually have this outburst at her. And it's, it's just everything you really wanted. That uh, leaking that to the media, I think, is really what the straw that broke the camel's back for that marriage. But that explosion and the when he confronted Sherry, and and Mike was trying to hold him back, and Palmer was just like out of control, just throwing Mike around and throwing the vase on the floor, and he let off you know another one of my favorite quotes of the season where he says, "Think." I'm probably misquoting here, but I think it says something like, God help you if that child dies. <laughs> yeah, damn you if that you, child dies. Yes, yeah, something like that. And you and you could just see the, the fire in his eyes when he said that, like the bass in his voice and the look on Sherry's face. It was just, it was a masterful scene. I, I personally, I like that scene better than the final scene when they, Palmer officially told Sherry that he doesn't want to see her anymore or something like that simply because of fire and the emotion behind it and the emotion and really Sherry Palmer and even Mike because Mike was trying to get Palmer away like you have to make a statement now you know the media knows and you have to get ahead of this now and I just thought that all three people in that scene were just completely masterful. I mean, it's a nice contrast, isn't it? Because we see we see David in that scene where he explodes at Sherry. And the next time we see him is in that ballroom downstairs where he ends the marriage. And that's the final scene we see of him in the season. And it is a really nice contrast of Haysbert at both ends of the spectrum of that, that really angry, was it angry bear that he got called at the start of the season? That side of him. But then also the very calm, collected, composed... I know exactly what I'm doing here, saying the right things in that, that really quiet tone where he outlines the problems with Sherry. The almost presidential tone, isn't it? You know, this is the last scene we see of him. We know that he's inevitably going to win the election. We've seen how well he did in the primary. We know from sort of the structure of television, I guess, that when we see him in season two, he's going to end up being 
president. You know, you can't keep him as the senator who lost the presidential race. He has no value in the show as that. This is the scene where you see him as the president, basically, I think. He had a few minutes to kind of calm down. He, he had already spoken to the media, and I don't know if he was aware of, I can't remember, I don't know if he was aware of, you know, what happened with Jack and, and the Drazens at that point. So I think he was just, at that point, you could even see it on his face as he was talking to Sherry. I think he was just mentally broken at that point. He's like, this has been an exhausting day. And every decision that I've made at every single turn, you have been against me on this. And you're supposed to be by my side on one of the most important days of my life and my career. And you have been against me at every single turn. The fact that she helped cover up a murder was one thing. But then putting Jet's daughter and his in danger... I think that was just the the mental breaking point for 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 David Palmer. And let's not forget that he hadn't even had time to properly process with her the fact that she tried to enable him to have an affair in one of the stranger bits of um, Sherry's life. I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week, didn't we? That Sherry is doing everything, says she's doing everything for David and his campaign, when actually she's doing everything for herself. And this is another one of these things, isn't it? Because he says to Patty, sorry, she says to Patty that getting his trust back is essential for when they go into the White House, when he's president, when she's first lady. But it's not. It's she wants the trust back because, well, she needs the trust back. It's as simple as that in, in the marriage in order to be close to him, in order to have that power of being the first lady. But I don't really get, I mean, Sherry is supposedly this really intelligent person. It's never really clear to me why she's naive enough to think that this is a good idea. Not only because David will see through it, but also because imagine if it ever got out. Imagine if it ever got out that during the campaign, on the day of the primary, David won by a landslide. He had an affair with his campaign manager and his wife not only knew about it, but set it up. That angle with Patty and David and uh, Sherry, that was one of those things that just, that was a disconnect for me because it literally came out of nowhere. Like you, you had seen Patty several times through through the course of the season before those episodes. You had seen her several times. She had not given David so much as a second look or a flirty glance or you know anything that would possibly even suggest <laughs> that she had a thing for him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sherry wants Patty to kind of seduce David. So based on the fact that there has not been any inclination at all that Patty is any somewhat interested in, in David Palmer. Shouldn't Sherry, being the intelligent woman that she is, know that if Patty just suddenly basically throws herself at David, that <laughs> something might be a little bit fishy here? I mean, they have been they've been side by side throughout the entire day. I mean, it does feel very rushed, doesn't it? It, it does feel like we're sort of four episodes from the end, and possibly, you know, it, the real time element constrains it slightly. In an ideal world, you'd probably want Sherry, you know, if we were writing this as a episode by episode, non real time, we can take as much time between things we want. You'd you'd have Sherry sow the seed. She, you know, Patty would make a move, you know, flirt once or something like that, and then it would just be very, very gradual. 
as a result, as, as you say, that it, it does feel like it comes very quickly and does allow David to see through it. But I mean, it's, it's just, it's very awkward from start to finish, which is kind of the point, I think. <laughs> Even if they would have just like dropped subtle hints, like through the previous episodes because they had like 19 20 hours before that you know even if they would have just you know thrown like a a flirty glance or a a a backhanded comment or you know the kind of grazing each other's arms or you know something that would have given some kind of hint that there was something more than just her wanting to be his campaign manager you know, anything that would have given us any kind of hint. I mean, if you're watching the show for the first time and you're seeing this, you're like, where where did this come from? (laughs) And I think that was just, I think it was too late in the season to play that card. If there was a perfect time to try that, it would have probably been after David found out that you basically essentially helped cover up the murder of Lyle Gibson. If they would have started it then, I could have been more inclined to believe that there was something going on, but just springing it on us like that on the spur of the moment, in the last few hours of the season, it, it just, it was a disconnect for me. It was hard for me to really get into that. Yeah. It was a bit random, I must say. Um, but I, I do enjoy Dennis Haysbert throughout that scene. I mean, the actual interactions between David and Patty, although they are a little bit awkward, um, it's quite fun. And I do like, again, to, continue praising Haysbert because why not um, when he comes in and, and describes to, to Sherry point by point very precisely where he was what he was doing who he was with there's almost a, a joy build in his voice as he kind of he starts with a sort of normal tone and then as he gets closer and closer and closer to the supposedly bombshell truth it's it, he's enjoying it he's actually enjoying it which is so strange but it, it, it's a lot of fun it's always fun like when you it's Especially when when Sherry went to the went to the the safe and destroyed the tape that she thought was the recording um, of Carl admitting to the murder, when really David had the real tape in his shirt pocket. Here, hearing David like when he catches Sherry in a lie, like the the sense of of assuredness and confidence in his voice, it's one of it's one of it's one of the little joys of the season because he's he's confident. He knows that he caught Sherry in a lie. And he's just waiting for her to step in it. Basically, he's just waiting for her to slip up and admit it. Um, and him saying, like with, with the tape, when he's saying, I was, you know, I knew that you were going to do that or something along those lines. And then to the point of with Patty, the, the slow build, like us, the viewer, we knew what, was, we knew what, what had happened. But hearing him kind of tease it to Sherry, to the point to where he dropped it that <laughs> that he fired her <laughs> and and seeing Sherry's whole expression just drop was just just marvelous never seen someone be so happy to tell someone else that they fired an employee before <laughs> he took a little bit more pride in that than probably a regular employer would <laughs> yeah now we're talking about marriages here we do in the penultimate episode get the final ever <clears throat> conversation between Jack and Terry which I'm sure you loved. <laughs> Raised my heart. Hey, again, I, I don't know whether you're being sarcastic or not. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that's listened to the last three episodes can probably tell that I'm being just, just a little bit sarcastic. I think, I think um, that's very harsh. <laughs> I mean, it's the last ever conversation with Jack and Terry, so I guess I'll 
I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and not be too hard on her. Um, but it's kind of uh, seeing how happy she is that, that Jack is uh, coming home, so to speak, only to know what's eventually going to happen. And it's, it's a little heartbreaking to the five Terry fans that are out there. But it's, but it's, it's me personally, I find it hard to knowing my feelings for Terry Bauer. There was a couple of episodes that she was tolerable in that I didn't really have an issue with her. But I'll say about 85% of the season, I was uh, pretty annoyed with Miss Bauer. Well, you're wrong on this one, I have to say. Kiefer Sutherland is, this is one of his best scenes in the season, I think. Leslie Hope is great. And the reason, for me, the reason that it's particularly devastating is not because you, not necessarily because you know what happens, <clears throat> but because what you know happens is death. You know that Terry dies. That's what we're coming to. The entire premise of this conversation is ultimately centered around, if you're watching this anew, is death. But it's not Terry's. This whole conversation is set up as Jack's final goodbye, almost. You know, he has that slip where he says, it's so excited for... Her to, for her, being Kim, to be back with you, Terry, and she corrects him and saying, what about you? No, no, both of us, of course. Obviously, I meant both of us, knowing that he's going to sacrifice himself or potentially sacrifice himself to the Drazens and get killed in order to get his daughter home. Couple that with the fact that this is the moment Terry chooses to reveal that she's pregnant. And it's ultimately just very, very sad for the fact that you know that Terry's going to die. You know that you know they're not going to have this kid together, that Kim's not going to get back to her mother, Jack's not going to get back to his wife. But also because in this moment, you think it's working the other way, that Jack, he's not going to get back to her because he's going to be dead. That's what I call a, um, I think it's what some people like to call a misdirect, letting people, you know, everybody, and remind you, if you're watching it for the first time, you don't really know what's going to happen in the second. You don't know if Jack's going to make it. You don't know that it's going to go on for another eight seasons after that. So, you know, there's, it's conceivable that you could see the death of Jack Bauer. And I think that that's what they wanted. They wanted you to believe that either Jack or Kim were not going to make it. And it's kind of foreshadowing because, you know, remember we talked a couple of episodes ago about why would they take Terry and Kim to the safe house? Why would they not just leave them at CTU where they would be safe? Now, mind you, Terry is the only one at CTU. So you would think she would be the only one that would be safe in that scenario because she's at CTU. Um, and I think that was the, the misdirect that Terry seems to be the only one of the three that's kind of in a safe situation. So naturally, she's probably going to be the one that dies. But once you're right... And we're going to move now into something where I know <laughs> that we're going to disagree and I'm going to say that you're wrong. <laughs> um, the reason that Terry dies, of course, is that she is killed by Nina Myers, who is a traitor. She is Yelena, um, a operative working for the Drazens. Joel, you don't, you don't particularly like this reveal, do you? I'm going to call myself before, before I address this because <clears throat> absolutely, positively not do I like this reveal. Not because of the fact that it was Nina, but because of the fact that throughout the previous 22 episodes, Nina risked her life, her job, and everything to protect Jack and his family. Now, I understand, you know, they probably didn't know they were going to get these last 11 episodes until they're probably around episode three or four writing-wise writing of the first season. I get that. But you... 
had 11 other episodes that you could have dropped some sort of hint that Nina was a traitor. I mean, just any hint. Doesn't matter which one. Jamie, even when Jamie was revealed as the mole, you at least gave a couple of episodes to her to kind of drop little subtle hints. Nina just came out of nowhere. Like, you didn't know until the end of episode 23 <laughs> that, she was, that she was the mole. So you had one episode to play that off. One episode to pay it off. That's it. And I just thought that there were plenty of Nina Meyer scenes in those other 11 episodes that you could have dropped some kind of nugget, some kind of hint that she would be revealed as the mole at the end of the season. I just thought it was rushed. I thought it was not well planned out, made no sense, because she had spent the entire season up until that point risking her life, limb, job, everything, to protect Jack and his family, even up until episode 22 when she was concerned about where Jack was. Even up until episode 22, she had showed concern for Jack. When up until at least by episode 22, she should have already detached herself from whether Jack lives or dies. But even up until episode 22, an hour earlier in real time, she was still concerned for Jack, Kim, and Jack and Kim's safety. To me, completely dropped them off. So let me ask you a question then, Joel. If in this particular stretch of time, Nina suddenly stops caring about Jack's welfare, how does that look? Well... It depends on if you're talking about from the viewer's perspective. Or, from George uh, Mason, Tony Almeida, Ryan Chappelle, Jack, Jack himself. Well, George Mason had been trying to get Nina to stop caring about Jack for like 10 episodes now. So George... And she was stubborn been, enough not to do it. <laughs> so George would have been ecstatic if she stopped asking him questions about Jack. So I think from George's perspective, I don't think George would have noticed anything because he didn't want her... Because every time she asked about Jack, George would throw in a little shot about her sleeping with Jack and catching Tony on the rebound. Tony, by contrast, also wanted Nina to stop worrying about Jack. Also wanted Nina because Tony had a thing for Nina. So Tony probably wouldn't have been paying very much attention as long as it didn't affect the mission. She could still do her mission, but not ask Mason and Tony and break all these protocols to try to save Jack, only to try to kill him in the last episode. That's the part that made no sense to me, because she spent 22 episodes trying to save Jack's life, only to try to kill him in the last episode. That part was the, was the disconnect for me. They didn't have to just drop it cold turkey. They didn't have to stop, you know, all of a sudden in episode 13, she cares about Jack. In episode 14, she could care whether he lives or dies. I'm not saying they had to drop it cold turkey, but just drop little subtle hints. Like, just like Jamie, you know, she gets a message on her phone. She goes into the bathroom and, and types it up and stuff like that. Little hints that maybe she doesn't show to George or Tony that she doesn't, that she doesn't care. But us, the viewer, can see it. Like, Jamie didn't show any signs of being a mole to Nina and Tony, but us, the viewer, saw that she was the mole when she got those messages and went in the bathroom and responded to him. That's what I'm saying. To us, the viewer, 
she could have they could have dropped a few more hints to at least let us know that okay maybe nina's not the person she appears to be you know of course that the example you've just used there jamie the first time we ever get any indication that she is working against ctu is when Gaines effectively thanks her for giving up terry bauer after terry gets kidnapped again that comes out of completely out of nowhere having had richard walsh say that she's the one person we can trust to me when richard walsh said that Jamie was the only person that they could trust. Not Nina, not Tony, not Mason, but Jamie. I think that's when you can deduce that Jamie probably wasn't going to end up being the only person that you could trust. I'll give you the point that that was the first time that we that we had seen it. But to Nina and Tony, Jamie was still Jamie. But this is the so, same with us. This is the first time we see that Nina's the mole at the end of episode 23. Bearing in mind, we also had, at the end of episode 3, way back at the start of the season, she was the, the name on the key card that Richard Walsh died for. Yes. And I still don't know what turned out, what turned out with that key card. But it ended up being that she was not the person behind the key card. But the main Wasn't difference she? between... Well, I know we didn't so, find out in season 1... The reason that she avoided suspicion is because the dates of the login were the time that she and Jack were away together. Same as when Mason is the person that's accessed the Saugus schematics. Nina's changed the name. Mason is the one that accessed it, not her. Exactly. My main, and I hear your examples, I hear you, but the main difference between Jamie and Nina is the fact that when Jamie was revealed to be the mole, she hadn't spent the entire time up until that point risking her life and her job to save Jack, Terry, and Kim, and then try to suddenly kill them in the last episode. She did it for money for her son. So that's the difference between her and Nina, because Nina has spent the entire season up until episode 23, the end of episode 20, risking her life to, I mean, at one point she was supposed to be dead. So she risked her her life and her job to make sure Jack, Terry, and Kim ended up alive. And then to suddenly reverse course and just erase all of that to say that she was the mole without anything us from us, the viewer, without anything showing us that she may have had nefarious means or plans behind it, I just thought was a disconnect for me. I mean, they could have done something to... Like, let's say, say when they had Terry and Kim at the safe house, okay? Even if she would have just, you know, went to the bathroom and just sent a text message to one of the killers given with the address to the safe house. Just a little small hint like that. that Is that not the exact a- same thing, just nine hours earlier? <laughs> but she didn't. That's what I'm saying. She left, but even if she would have just went to the bathroom and they would have just shown us the viewer, not Terry and Kim, obviously, but us the viewer, her sending a text message to one of the assassins, the address of the safe house. And then five or 10 minutes later, the assassins show up and conveniently she's gone by then. That could have been something that while not a major plot development, it could have been something that could have dropped a subtle hint that Nina is working for somebody other than CT. I don't think you can drop a subtle hint on this one. I think it's either you reveal it or you don't. I think it's as simple as that, to be quite honest with you. And like I say, we've had the thing with the key card. You know, the whole idea of this is that Nina knew nothing of Gaines' plan. Therefore, that, I mean, that was a completely separate thing. She worked for the people that she worked for, and through that, working for the, the Drazens, um, not Gaines. Um, you know, she gets Jack. Uh, sorry, she gets David to 
enable the tra- the trade for Jack because the Drazens, they I mean they need him free, don't they? They 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 have to let him go so that he can go and kill Palmer. That's the whole point. And ultimately, if you reveal it earlier in the season, you hint it earlier in the season, you don't get the stunning reveal at the end of episode twenty three, which is just a, a gorgeous scene in terms of setup. Yeah. Okay, I was supposed to sit out of this one, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump <laughs> in here, here as we're wrapping things what up. Kind of not- <laughs> well, we're almost out of time. We can continue some of this next week. Next week, we're going to be doing a wrap-up overall of season one. And so we're going to be able to catch some of the different things that we've had. But just to kind of jump in on this particular point to Joel's point, they could have dropped at least hints that there was a mole still there. There was nothing. So even if, like, he was talking about, like, with the safe house, if they didn't show Nina, they could have at least shown somebody sending a text with the address and we don't know who it is but we know okay there's somebody leaking some information and then whatever for some different things like that but 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 yeah to your point though bradley yeah if they would have shown nina it would have earlier it's hard to be able to just drop it but but anyway (laughs) very good stuff so next week we are going to do a wrap-up here of season number one so if you have any feedback for us go to 24faithful.com and you can be able to send that to us and so any other closing remarks bradley no, no, i was gonna say you are right about the idea of a mole that's something they do sort of drop the ball on for sort of 15 episodes after jamie gets discovered and then 20 minutes before nina's revealed there's another mole that that i, that I will concede they could have done that better yeah <laughs> joel is still confounded i am dumbfounded okay the reveal could have been handled so much better than the last 30 seconds of episode 23 i just thought it could have been handled so much better it wasn't even given its proper closure in episode 24 like it was it, it felt rushed the way she was trying to get out of ctu and the way she was trying to run over jack and <sighs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop because I'm going to get a little hot under the collar and this podcast <laughs> is going to go on for another 30 minutes. So I'm just going to stop right there. <clears throat> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. And we were going to see you on the next episode.